our kids' emotional systems, their nervous systems will tell us, you know, those systems decide when the transition has completed or when they're in a space of feeling like they can relax more, they can learn better. We can't force it to happen sooner, even though we might wish we could. Our kids decide. (laughs) I don't like to argue, so I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody, so sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach devoted to helping multicultural individuals and couples on the path of transformation transform their lives and relationships through conscious communication. As you know, I live in California, where summer is unfortunately almost over, which means that kids are going back to school. And when kids go back to school, it's a big transition for them. You know, for you and me, you listening right now, we are adults and maybe summer feels like a minute long, right? It seems like every year summer feels shorter. But for kids, they perceive time differently and summer may feel like forever. And maybe you even have memories of when you were a kid and summer felt like it lasted for a long time. And then someone told you, okay, it's time to go to school. Probably that was your parents. So today I have a very special treat for you because I am going to be interviewing my dear friend, teaching partner, and the person from whom I learned a lot about how to communicate with children. And who is that? Well, of course, that is Caroline Griswold. Caroline is a respectful parenting educator and coach. She helps parents find greater joy and connection with their children and grow into their parenting with grace, insight, and humor. She is passionate about bringing more ease and confidence to parenting and facilitating respectful communication between parents and children from the start. Caroline is a lifelong educator. She was inspired to pursue certifications in Magda Gerber's Educaring Approach, also known as RIE, and Hand-in-Hand Parenting after experiencing how these respectful parenting approaches transformed her relationships with her son and her partner. I am so grateful to have Caroline here for the third time in the Language Alchemy podcast. And I know that you are going to learn so much from this interview and love Caroline as much as I love her. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Alejandra. Thank you so much. It's always so great to be here. Yes, it's always great to have you. You have so much to offer. I know that all the work that you do is based on not only all your studies, certifications and qualifications, but also your experience as a mother, right? Very much so. Yes, it's a daily practice. Yes. And as we are going to talk about transitions, you have gone through a huge transition with your family and your child has gone through a 
very, very important transition. Do you want to tell us about it? <laughs> sure. In fact, we're in the midst of it, I would say. We're about a month into a move from the U.S. to Spain. So many transitions are happening and I think will still continue happening for the next uh, many months. Wow. And so your child has to learn how to be in a different country, different language, different environment, different foods. Yep. So many different things. Exactly. It's all so different. So yes, we're, this is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart right now. We're having lots of talks and feelings and uh, the experience of transition day by day. Yeah. And for those parents out there who may not call this a transition, could you tell us a little bit from your perspective, what is a transition for kids? Sure. A transition is anything that can challenge a child's sense of safety or connection or both. So anything that sort of gets into their life and makes things feel a little bit wobbly. So that could be, you know, getting a new caregiver, going to a new school or going back to school, even if it's the same school, you know, every school year is a transition. Even having family visit, that's a transition because it can shake up how it feels to be at our home and with the people that care about us most. So yeah, anything that sort of challenges or makes our kids feel wobbly when it comes to their sense of this is what it feels like to be safe and connected in my home with my people. So what I'm hearing from you, Caroline, is that we are talking here from the perspective of the child, not the perspective of the parent. From the child's point of view, it is something like, I don't know I'm going to be safe in this new environment or with this change, or I don't know that I'm going to have the same level of warmth and connection that I had at home or with my previous teacher or with my groups of friends when I was in first grade or something like that, right? Exactly. And it can be a little bit confusing for us too, right? Because we can know or feel very confident that our child is totally safe. You know, objectively, we can even look around and say, oh, this is a wonderful change or this teacher's so delightful or, oh, this, you know, new caregiver's wonderful or good, kind family is coming to visit or a new sibling is arriving. How beautiful that will be, you know? So the child can be quite safe objectively and we can even think it's a very positive change. But for our children, anything that changes the way that they are used to living and used to relating can feel wobbly and can sort of ask their internal sense of, uh, safety, connection to reset a little bit to, you know, make sure, hey, are we still okay? Is everything still all right? We're primed to ask those questions when we're small, especially when we're small. Yes, and I'm especially thinking about kids who developed during the pandemic and they were used to being with their parents and now going to school, maybe starting preschool or kindergarten might be such a huge change for them. Children who did some schooling on Zoom, then going back to school. And even though schools have been opening up and, and we have had sort of like a year of school, it's also another transition from 
an in-person academic year to another in-person academic year is different. So can you tell us a little bit about how can parents approach transitions respectfully, mindfully, conscious of their kids' developmental stage? What do parents need to be aware of? Yes, definitely. And I think that's such a good point, Alejandra. It's, you know, we adults feel, I think, more and more like, oh, we've come out of the pandemic times, we're back to normal, things are A-OK. And I think I, I hear from parents every week that they feel like things are still coming back to a place of normalcy, whatever that means. And it might be a new normal, but I think our kids are very much still getting used to what does it mean to be in school? Some of them are going to school for the very first time. You know, they spent the whole pandemic time and after at home with a parent or parents or maybe one caregiver. And this this will be a big transition for them. So I think the first thing to know is that our kids tend to weather transitions more slowly than we do as adults. We've had more experience. Um, of course, this varies kid by kid because every kid is a little bit different. But I think one of the things that we can do always when, we're, when a transition is coming is just to know we need to take it slowly. We can help our kids if we expect that it will take a while for them to get used to whatever the transition is. And it may take longer than we wish it would. It might be even a little uncomfortable for us that it's taking so long. You know, maybe it's the feelings are lasting longer than we wish they would, or there's more um, sort of rockiness in behavior, for example, that can happen. So just to know it takes longer, it takes as long as it needs to. And of course, we'll talk about some things we can do to help when it does feel like, oh, this is going on for a while. Yeah. And when you're saying it takes as long as it needs to, like, what have you noticed in your experience, either parenting or working with all the parents that you've worked with? Yes. Of course, we want our kids to do well and we want them to feel good. Every parent wants that, right? We want our kids to have a good experience in school or who, with whoever they're with. That's important to every parent. So it can feel hard to us when it feels like, that's not happening as quickly as we want it to. So one thing I think can be helpful is just to know that our kids also want it to go well. You know, they also want to have a good experience. They want to feel good with whoever they're with. They want to enjoy school. They're built ready to learn and they can learn and do well when they feel good. And by good, I mean safe really close and connected with at least one other adult, hopefully some other children if we're talking about a school transition. So when I say it takes as long as it takes or it needs to take, that really means that our kids' emotional systems, their nervous systems will tell us, you know, those systems decide when the transition has completed or when they're in a space of feeling like they can relax more, they can learn better we can't force it to happen sooner, even though we might wish we could. Um, <laughs> our kids, our kids yeah. decide. <laughs> I thank you for sharing that, Caroline, that kids' default is to feel good, but that they need to learn to feel good. And for some of them, it may take longer than for others. And that we just need to, as you said, take it slow and, uh, and know that we can support our children in that transition, in that feeling good in this new environment. 
Yes, absolutely. They do. They want it to feel good. They want things to go well. And they are, they don't have that sort of instinct that we might have as adults to sort of fake it till they make it. Right. They are designed to show us in a range of ways with their behavior, with their feelings, when things feel hard. That's such a beautiful thing, but it's, it's different. It's different than the way we have grown up and we've been taught as adults to kind of just get through it. And this is one of the main reasons why parenting is so challenging and why transitions can feel so challenging to all of us is because kids are really going to show us how it's going for them, but it can help so much to remember, ah, oh, they want it to go well just as much as we do. And that's, that's why we're there to help them get to that place. And what are some of these signs that children show us, whether it's going well, it's not going well for them? What can we expect to see or not see? Yes. Or here or not here. <laughs> right. All of those things. Exactly. Yes. So I often say to parents, you know, when we have a big transition and school is such a big one, that one way we can know how our kids are doing is by their behavior. Every kid will show us how they're doing with their behavior at any time, transition or not. But often when there's a transition, kids' behavior tends to take a hit. So our children will have a harder time listening well, for example around things they previously could do decently at, they will often have a harder time complying with simple rules or being patient, absorbing small disappointments or slights. So let's, you know, oh, tonight we're not going to have dessert. That might be sort of moderately disappointing on a regular day. But during a time of transition, that could feel just devastating to a kid who's feeling Really, you can think of it as like, you know, their cup is so, it's overflowing with what's happening, right? Overflowing with feelings and newness. And some of that newness is beautiful and wonderful. And some of it could feel hard, could feel challenging. They have a reduced capacity to take on more things like little disappointments. So behavior is one space. Also, when kids are struggling in these times, they can also get rigid in certain ways. That's often one way we notice that things are feeling tight or feeling difficult. So kids will get really rigid around things being a certain way. Like, it has to be the blue cup and no other cup will do. Or, you know, I have to wear my princess dress and I don't care that I wore it the last 17 days. I have to wear it again today. And, you know, there's just a sense yeah. that it must be that way. And that's how things will be okay. So behavior falling apart, rigidity, those are a couple of ways kids are telling us, oh, I'm having a hard time here. Do you notice? Hmm. And I can imagine that at different ages, kids are showing that behavior and that rigidity differently. Definitely. Yes. Although I'll say, you know, toddlers all the way through teens and beyond, you know, we sort of, even as adults fall apart in similar ways, right? When we're feeling stressed, we can get rigid around things. When we're feeling overwhelmed, our behavior can tank with our partners, with our friends, with our, our own parents, with our children, goodness knows. So really those ways, and of course, we all have feelings. Again, as adults, we're sort of trained to show them less, but that's another way that we can see that things, I would say across the age spectrum, 
that things are feeling hard is when kids' feelings get even deeper, even bigger than under normal circumstances. So yes, the way it looks or the content maybe of the challenge changes a little bit, but we do it our whole lives long when we're, when we're having a hard time. Thank you. I'm just remembering that someone's child started to wet his pants after going to kindergarten when before this child has not wet his pants. So that would be, I think, a very clear indication that that child is having trouble with that transition. That's right. Yes. In fact, a parent just reached out to me about something similar today. So whenever there's a new transition or a new ask, of a child, like going to school for the first time, going to kindergarten, that's a big ask. And we're asking the child to step up to a new level of independence, a longer separation perhaps than they're used to from us, from the people that they feel safest and closest to. And whenever there's another big ask like that, children will very often take a little step back in some developmental milestone that they've reached. So it could be, yeah, potty learning can take a step back. It could be sleep. Sometimes children stop sleeping as well for a little while. They won't nap or nap as well. Bedtime can get a little bit harder. So yeah, it's again, that idea of like the cup just gets overflowing and something's got to spill out. So very often it's sort of the last skill they took on or (laughs) some other skill that feels a little challenging, right? Like learning to toilet independently and sleep independently. Those also ask something very big of children. And so often it feels like if we're asking them something new and big in one area, uh, they let go of something else, at least for a little while in another area. It reminds me of we adults, we do the same thing. When our cup is overflowing, when we are so stressed out and overwhelmed, we regress. So even if we were communicating and in a way that was redirecting our reactivity and we were responding in the moment when there's that big ask that you're talking about, we may go back to shutting down or yelling or getting defensive or doing all the things, even though we've worked on that, we could regress and go back to those earlier communication habits that we've had because of this condition that we're in this moment of stress or overwhelm. Right. So, yeah. And what are some signs that show us that kids are being okay with the transition? Again, every child is so different. So whatever you know to be true about your own child or children, when they're feeling good and doing well, that's the thing to look for. So for example, I have a nine-year-old and one of the ways he has always shown me that he's doing well is when he's chatty. He has a certain voice that he uses where he says, you know, mom, and then he launches into some little story about something he's seen or heard or read. He's been like that since he was a toddler and he started talking. So I know when he's chatty and at ease in his chatting, ah, this is a kid that's feeling pretty good. For some other children, that's when they invite you to play. Children play when they're feeling good and children play when they're not feeling good. It's a place where they work on all kinds of things. So it's not that a child who plays is automatically feeling great on firing on all cylinders. That's not what I mean. But we can look at the way that they play. 
what are they playing with? Are they able to sort of play about school? Let's say it's a school transition. Are they playing a game that brings school into the play? And are, how are things looking in the play? Are things resolving? Are they inviting us to see what it's like for them? These are some ways we can at least get a window into how's this kid doing? How does it feel when they look at these issues or look at what's happening for them? And do they show me this is me when I feel good, me when I feel at ease in my body? That's what we want to look for. So once again, it's like you're inviting us to pay attention to our children, to be aware of them and to really know them, know them when they're struggling, noticing them and know them when they're feeling good in their bodies. And what are some things that parents can say or do to help their children be more prepared for a transition? It's a great question. One of the things is something actually that you teach also to adults, which I think is so beautiful, which is to prepare them by talking about what they can expect. So it's beautiful if children can have not very long because they're children. And again, you know, less is more when it comes to communication. I think we were talking before a little bit about that. You know, not a very long conversation, but at least a little bit of talking about, you know, what can they expect when they go to school or to their new daycare or to their new classroom, even if they know their school? What's it going to look like? You know, can they go by the school? Can they see it if they've never seen it before? And to, depending on the age of the child, have a conversation where they can ask questions we can have a little bit of a dialogue about this is what will happen on the first day. You know, I'll take you to your classroom. I'll say goodbye to you at the door. At the end of the day, I'll be there to get you or, you know, so-and-so will be there to get you. So to sort of map out the day, at least the first day in a very brief way and a very warm way, you know, how we do this really matters almost as much as what we say, maybe even more actually, you know, our tone needs to be really warm, really confident. And we need to just say a little. So what we're communicating through our tone and through the things that we say is, I feel safe about this transition. I feel like this is a good place for you. I'm looking forward to this for you. And I'm also open to what you want to ask me and what you feel about this. So that's kind of the subtext of what we say when we prepare kids in this way. And we might want to do that depending again on the age of the child, not too far in advance, but you know, as we're coming up towards school, maybe it's a few weeks ahead and we mention it a few times as it gets closer. For younger children, I would do it even closer. Maybe it's a few days ahead just so they know. And then maybe get even a little countdown as the day comes closer, but a little bit of preparation goes a long way. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. I was remembering a client I work with and she wanted to work on being able to trust others and noticing how hard it was for her to to trust others, especially an intimate other or an authority. So whether it was her partner or her boss. And she would say, oh, like when someone tells me they're going to do something, there's something internally in me that cannot trust that that's going to happen. So when we did inquiries, what we found out was that when she started kindergarten, she was really scared. And when her mom dropped her off, her mom said to her, 
I'm going to be with you at all times. And I'm right here with you. And those are the words she remembered. I am right here with you. So she went into the classroom. And a few minutes afterwards, she went outside the classroom to see if her mom was there. And of course, her mom was not there. And the same thing happened that whole week of kindergarten. Her mom would say, I am going to be there with you. And her mother was not there. So then she developed this idea that her mother was lying to her, that her mother did not tell her the truth, that she was not there like she was supposed to be there. Of course, we know that children don't have the ability to understand subtleties and they have like a black and white logic and and sort of language that if you say, I will be there for them, it means there, right there in that spot, right? <laughs> right. So I really like giving some phrases to parents of what they can say, and you've shared some of them. What are some other things that we can say to children to prepare them in a way yes. that they can understand? Right. Well, yeah, that's such a great story because, right, we do want, children do need and want to know that we are thinking about them and holding them in our minds and holding them in our hearts when we're not with them. But yes, they need to know the difference between you'll be in my heart and I'll be right there by your side. So <laughs> we always want to tell the truth, right? And part of the truth is maybe even to say, you might miss me. Do you think you will? just to even have that conversation and allow that, you know, sometimes I think we're so worried that our children will be devastated when we're apart from them, that we try to prevent them from having that sadness and from feeling that way. It's so understandable. You know, I remember becoming a mom and thinking, oh my gosh, I just want to protect this kid from ever having any kind of hurt come to him. You know, even though I knew it wasn't possible, it was my deep wish to prevent that from happening, right? But it's part of the human experience and separations are hard for every child. And actually one of the ways we can help them the most is by allowing that to happen, allowing it to be hard and listening to the tears and listening to the places where it feels hard, either in the moment or ahead of the moment after the moment. This isn't exactly what you asked, but one of the things that I find so tricky about school and daycare and the transition where parents need to say goodbye to their children is that at least in the U.S., you know, we've developed this way of asking parents to do that by saying, do it as quickly as possible, drop them and run, get out of there. And some daycares and schools will even ask parents to sneak away you know, when their children aren't looking. I've had many parents tell me that, and it can be devastating for parents and I think very, very upsetting for children because, of course, what they want most is to feel that we are there, that we will tell them when we're leaving, that we will come back when we say we will. So we can't mess with that trust, I think. This is a very important thing. In my work, we sometimes talk about what we call the long goodbye where we set up time at drop-off, especially early on in a transition, where we stay for more of the sadness, for more of the tears. And we give children time to tell us and show us how hard it is for them. This is not something to do lightly. It's often something we need to talk about with a teacher or a daycare provider, but children really do need to tell us how hard it is for them. And sometimes we can do that ahead of time when we talk about school Sometimes we can do it after the fact, but 
that's one of the ways we can help is by making space for children to have the sadness and have the tears and have the feelings they have about the separation. Because as they have those feelings, they can clear space for there to be something other than the sadness, something other than the fear. That's where we get more excitement, more curiosity, more learning can flow in when they can offload some of those other feelings. Yeah. And I guess like for us adults to remember that those feelings are temporary, they're not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. If they don't last forever for us, they're not going to last forever for our children either. Right. That's right. Yeah, and if we can allow them to have them, then they don't have to go underground. Oh, it's like many of us learned early. I know you you hear this from your clients. I hear it from mine too, that we learned not to show those feelings, you know, not to show sadness, not to show fear, not to show anger. Our parents didn't know what to do with it a lot of the time. So the beautiful thing about allowing this is that it clears it from the system so that we can make space for real joy, real wonder. Now, instead of feeling that part of what we're tucking away all the time is the sort of less quote unquote positive feelings that, you know, are hard for adults to, to see and hear. Yeah. I remember another story of a couple I was working with and their child went to first grade. So he had the experience of kindergarten and he had gone to preschool, but first grade was a big, big transition for him. When his mom would take him to school, the child would cry the whole time. When his dad would take him to school, the child would not cry at all. And so as I was working with both of them, the dad was wanting me to teach his wife how not to make his child cry. And he would (laughs) say, I should take him to school because he doesn't cry with me. And he cries all the time with her. And I don't want my kid to be crying about any change in life because he's going to have so many changes in life, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And then we had to work a lot with this dad to understand that he was not allowing any feelings in himself. He was doing what he felt was the most beautiful thing to do for his child. He was trying to support his child to help him go to first grade without any tears because that's what he had not been allowed in him. He didn't know that he could even have that option or that experience. And it wasn't until he was able to connect to his own feelings and then learn that feelings come and go that he learned how to make space for his son's feelings. That's so beautiful. I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. That's exactly it. We're always trying to do what we think is best for our kids. And, and sometimes it's for us too. I imagine this dad felt like, oh, and his wife was having to listen to all this. That would be hard on her also, right? It never ceases to amaze me how much, you know, what was hard for us as children shows up and becomes in a very interesting way both what's hard for us as parents and also what becomes challenging for our kids. You know, there's this way that we sort of mirror down the generations, the challenges that we had. So it can be helpful to parents, I know, and and very new to get this perspective that actually allowing our kids to have these difficult feelings can be so deeply healing, both for them and for us. Sometimes it can really show parents how much healing there can be when a child is allowed to have these feelings. And also it can help them feel like, oh, this is what 
I could have had as a child. You know, there's a way that it heals us backward toward our own childhoods when we witness our children being able to be listened to in a way that perhaps we weren't. This is when it really benefits us all, not just our child, ourselves. Beautiful. And tell us, Caroline, when we notice that children are having a hard time through those behaviors and that communication that you've shared before, what are some things that parents could do other than holding space for, for their feelings? Are there any things that you recommend to the parents you coach do with their children as they notice they're having a hard time with transitions? Definitely. So one of the main things I recommend is that we look for ways to be playful. This is kind of an interesting thing. Most of us play with our children and we notice that our children love to play and we, we find ways to get in there and play with them if we can, if we're not too stressed ourselves. But this transition times are actually a really beautiful time to increase the amount of play that we do with our kids, but in a very specific way. So what, what I want to suggest is a certain kind of play that in my work with hand-in-hand parenting, we call play listening. And we call it that because it's actually a beautiful way of being playful where we're also listening to how things are for our kids. So all of our tools are listening tools because we can gain so much by listening to our kids. We learn about them. We also help them do some of the healing that I was talking about. And when we play listen, basically what we're doing is we're looking specifically for ways to generate laughter without tickling. So Mm -hmm. to generate laughter by taking the less powerful role with our kids in our play. So that as adults, we are the ones who are always making the decisions. You know, we're in the know. We're the ones who have it figured out. We know how to, you know, screw on lids and tie shoes and, you know, cook meals and drive cars. So we're, we're in charge most of the time. So when we laugh and get goofy around not knowing how to do things, not being in charge, that is really funny to our kids. It's really nourishing. So it could be something as simple as, oh, it's dinner time and, you know, someone needs to set the table and mom's going to set the table, but she does it completely wrong. She puts all the cups upside down and the forks are under the placemats and, you know, she just seems to totally forget how to do it. It's like completely confusing. This is really funny to kids. You know, if you think about it, our kids are going to school every day, trying, trying, trying to learn new things sometimes bumping up against walls where they can't figure something out or it feels like a little bit of a struggle. So to see a parent who tends to always know how to do things and doesn't even have to think about it, struggle jokingly about how to do those things is a beautiful way to be playful and generate laughter in a time when kids are learning, learning, learning so much. Hmm. And the, the reason we generate laughter is that laughter is really, I'm sure you've noticed, very, very connecting when we laugh with people that we love, we feel close to them. Right there, that's doing something really helpful and supportive for our kids. It's also beautiful for um, helping us release tension. Just tension is a thing that goes in when we're doing something new. 
And it's great for sort of offloading lighter fears, not the deep, deep, deep fears, but the little ones that kind of get attached to us and walk around with us. So I always recommend that during times of transition, parents actively look for ways to giggle with their children. Play listening is a great way, but even silly movies, if that's something that your family does, or we talk to stuffed animals a lot in our family and they do very, very silly things that generates lots and lots of laughter. So help your kids laugh. That's such a beautiful way to help them feel lighter during the transition, closer to you, which is going to always, always help. Mm, Thank you. And from a communication perspective and an energetic perspective, when we're laughing, it connects us to the belly center. And the belly center is that energetic center of intelligence, of presence and confidence and our ability where we can then find the authentic communication to express what's going on. So mm. I love this connecting love us that. to laughter. Yeah. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yeah. How great. Yeah. Yes. More, more confidence and yeah. Groundedness on top of everything else. Perfect. Yeah. Do you have any kind of transition rituals with your son? Yes, we do. And I think we've had really some version of the same ritual ever since my son was in daycare when he was a baby. When we leave him, we always have a hug. This is a thing I thought would go away as he got older, but interestingly, has come, he's come even closer to us for that. You know, there was a period where he toddled away from us, but um, we say something, you know, we give him a kiss, we whisper to him that we love him, and we say something like, we always come back for you. You know, when he was a baby, that felt really important. I'll always come back. You know, I'll see you later. Have a good day. I always come back for you. Hmm. So when he started elementary school after the pandemic, because also he was in kindergarten when the pandemic hit. So he had a really chopped up first few years of elementary school. Um, If I ever tried to leave without that little, you know, hug and whisper ritual, he would come find me and say, mom, don't forget. So, yeah, very simple, but very sweet. Caroline, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about transitions? Any parting messages? I think the only other thing I'd love to say is just, I see the hard work you're doing as parents to help your kids with these big transitions. You know, I have such deep respect for parents always, and especially at the back to school time of year. It brings up lots of feelings for our kids. But one thing we didn't talk much about is, it brings up lots of feelings for us too. So I always say, find a way to take care of your heart and your feelings too during this time. That will, of course, help you support your kids more, but also help you tend to the feelings that arise for you, whether it's in the moment or even going all the way back to when you were a child going to school. So thank you for caring so much about your children. I do recommend that if you parents are having a hard time with your children's transition, or now you understand after listening to this that, oh, it's my child who's having a hard time. And maybe I'm having a hard time with their hard time and I don't know how to, how to help them. How can parents find you, Caroline? Well, people can always find me through my website, which is fertilegroundparenting.com. I have a contact page on my website. You can go there and send me a note anytime. 
You can also sort of get a sense of me and the work that I do with parents through my weekly one-minute email that I send on Monday mornings, which is called the Parenting Pause. I offer one tool or idea to think about in your parenting that week, and that's fertilegroundparenting.com forward slash parenting pause. You can sign up there. I love the Parenting Pause, and I read it every Monday because it gives me not only a parenting tool and something to think about in my communication with children, but also with other human beings, children of all ages. So mm-hmm. I have benefited greatly from the parenting pause. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Check out fertilegroundparenting.com. Sign up for the parenting pause every Monday and co- also connect with Caroline on Instagram. It's at fertilegroundparenting, right? Yes, that's it. Okay. Thank you so much, my dear friend. I love you. I always learn from you. And I can't wait to be in the same continent again together soon. Thank you, Alejandra. I love you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening for being here and for the birthday greetings I've received because this month is my birthday month. Speaking of which, you can join in the celebration until August 31st. How? You can enter your name in the raffle where I'm offering various gifts to help you with your communication, including a 45 mini communication coaching session with me. Yes, this is my way of celebrating my birthday and also that the Language Alchemy podcast turned two years old during this summer. To enter the raffle and join me in celebration, you need to do two things that will take about five minutes or less. Number one, you need to go to languagealchemy.com forward slash podcast birthday. And number two, you need to share with me an anecdote about how the Language Alchemy podcast has helped you in your communication. I'm going to say it one more time languagealchemy.com forward slash podcast birthday. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was useful for you. Until next week, and as we say in Argentina, ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapel. You can find all links in the show notes at languagealchemy.com.